This is the Epilogue Audio Experience. Suicide rates are 50% higher during these times of uncertainty, stress and isolation as compared to last year. But what is the character of suicide? Is it primarily just a health sector concern? Or do we need to dig deeper and look into other sectors as well? Is suicide going to be the next crisis? And how can we help someone in need of help at say 2am in the morning during these times and otherwise as well? Hi guys, I'm Suchita and thank you for tuning in for another episode of the SOS show and we're having a very important conversation on suicide during the COVID times. We're going to be talking about the helplines and the infrastructure that's needed to reach both urban and rural areas, the responsibility of policymakers and the media when it comes to strategy and reporting on suicides and what will the world look like post-COVID. Do we need to dread that and how can we control that dread? We are in conversation with Dr. Samitra Patare and Tanmay Goswami. Dr. Samitra Patare is a consultant psychiatrist and a director of Center for Mental Health Law and Policy at the Indian Law Society Pune India. He is project director of Spirit Hub which is scaling up and evaluating three universal suicide prevention interventions in a cluster randomized controlled trial. He was involved in drafting India's new Mental Health Care Act 2017 which takes a rights based approach to mental health care and provides for publicly funded universal mental health care. He was also a member of the Mental Health Policy Group appointed by Government of India to draft India's first national mental health policy released in October 2014. And of course Tanmay Goswami needs no introduction. He was in the last episode, episode 34 of the SOS show. Please do tune in for that episode as well. Tanmay of course is a journalist who writes about mental health and he himself is an advocate of mental health. Hi Dr. Samitra Patare and Tanmay Goswami welcome to the SOS show thank you for joining in thank you so much and i wish to start uh, this conversation with uh, suicide uh, during these times so starting with uh, samitra uh, samitra do you think that during the lockdown times there has been a rise in suicides and it can be thought of as the next crisis that we can certainly say there is a rise because we've been mm. tracking suicides that have been happening in this last 3 weeks of the lockdown uh, and what we found was that uh, if you compare the same 3 weeks last year uh then the number of media reports of suicide in this 3 weeks is almost 50% higher than the number of suicides in the 3 weeks of the last year at the same time now that's not conclusive evidence because somebody will say well media is biased and media might be reporting more because there is covid at the moment but uh it's some preliminary evidence nobody else seems to have any better evidence uh it does seem that there are more suicides happening and i think uh, what is interesting is the kind of suicides that we are seeing so initially in the first week after the lockdown we saw a lot of suicides because of uh, alcohol withdrawal So, you know mm. people not getting alcohol going into withdrawal and then there was suicide there was a big spate of them almost 20 or 25 suicides reported from southern states 
after that, the character of the suicides changed so that what was being reported in the media as reasons for suicide were things like fear of getting COVID or fear of having COVID or being socially ostracized because your neighbors thought you had COVID. And that went on for two or three weeks. Uh, and last seven to 10 days, we are again seeing a pattern change so that people who are now dying of suicide, the reports are saying because they didn't have food, they didn't have money, they were worried about a job. So clearly the reasoning for why people are dying of suicide now seems to be shifting to the kind of things that we thought uh, people would die of suicide, which is economic issues around the lockdown and COVID. Mm -hmm. uh, one more point I wanted to make was that this is very interesting because if you look at media reports from across the world, uh, mm -hmm. there are not uh, any uh, increased suicides across the world. And what we also know with most crises is that uh, especially after any big event like this, suicides tend to rise, but they tend to rise with a lag. So there's like a six month or a one year lag before you start seeing the rise in suicide. So what we are seeing in India at the moment, if it is a true rise as the media is capturing it, then mm -hmm. that's actually very worrying. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And Tanmoy, as a journalist uh, writing on mental health, uh, what is your perspective on it? Yeah, I think, um, uh, you know, uh, something that you talked about in your question is something that I'd like to address, which is, is suicide the next crisis and i think mm. that's just the that's just how people perceive these things uh, suicide is not the next crisis suicide has been a crisis for a long long time mm. um and like dr patari said i think it is just in this current climate of fear uncertainty anxiety and increased sort of media media um, attention maybe mm. uh, or genuinely you know um, uh, that people are feeling more desperate um, that this issue is uh, drawing more attention. Um, mm -hmm. But suicide has been silently brewing as a crisis for, for decades in this country. Um, and I think the uh, as a journalist, the um, interesting thing, especially as a mental health journalist, the interesting mm -hmm. thing is um, that, you know, this trend that we are seeing really debunks uh, something that Dr. Patari himself and many of us have been very vocal about for a long time, which is, let's not equate suicide with mental illness there it's a structural issue there are many things that go into um, the act of suicide uh, it's very um, counterproductive to always reduce it to a mental illness um, many times it's social triggers it's economic triggers um, and i think we are getting a very startling display of that right now that um, so many forces are coming together to Sort of conspire to make people take their own lives because it's a matter of their futures, their livelihoods, everything is shrouded in darkness. Um, and so even somebody who doesn't have any clinical diagnosis of mental illness, mm -hmm. uh, who's fit and fine, uh, you know, they are not, nobody is immune from this. So uh, that to me as a journalist is a very, very uh, important point that, you know, it's probably a chance for us as society to delink suicides from mental illness. Yeah, absolutely. That that was actually what uh, I've been also talking to a lot of people that people misconstrue it as something that's related to mental illness. Uh, so, Mitra, what is your perspective when it comes to suicide and mental health versus mental illness? Well, just uh, to answer your question and also to carry on from where uh, where uh, Tanmay just left, I think sure. uh, interestingly uh, in all of these news media reports that we've looked at, which is close to around 120 odd suicides, mm -hmm. uh, 
it has almost never been mentioned that this person had a mental health problem before. Uh, now you could say, well, the journalist yeah. forgot to write it, but it could be. It seems very unusual that in none of the stories uh, was there ever written that oh, this person had a mental illness prior to this, which kind of fits in with what we know from research. Like research from India uh, mm-hmm. shows that hardly. 50% of people, you know, if you did a psychological autopsy study, which means after somebody has died of suicide, if you mm. go back and do a detailed reworking of the history with the survivors, with their family, then only about 50% of people who die of suicide actually have a mental illness or a diagnosable mental illness. So more mm. than half of the suicides, mental illness is not a factor. Uh, for the suicide. And I think what Tanmay said is completely right, which is that suicides are a complex uh, psychosocial phenomena. Uh, and it would be quite uh, wrong to reduce it down to just, oh, this is because of mental illness. Uh, I think the reason that kind of belief has come in is partly also because professionals have uh, been saying that. Mm. And I suspect professionals have been saying that because most professionals uh, in this country would train with books which are written in the West. Uh, mm. And if you went to somewhere like the UK, for example, mm-hmm. 80% of people who die of suicide have depression as a diagnosis. That's the evidence from the UK. Uh, now, if you read a book which is written in the UK and you're reading that and that's what you've been brought up with in your training, then you start believing that's what it is. Whereas if you look at the data from India, that doesn't match with it. And India's demography is very different uh, to for suicide. So like in, in UK, for example, most of the people dying of suicide tend to be older people and older men. Uh, the men to women ratio is close to four is to one. Now in India, most of the people dying of suicide are young uh, and they tend to be a lot of women so that the men to women ratio is hardly 1.5 is to 1. Uh, in fact, you know, nobody seems to have cottoned on to this. But in India, if you're a young woman below the age of 40, uh, your number one cause of death is suicide and not maternal mortality. We've done such a good job with maternal mortality that maternal mortality has come down and suicides have remained the same. So if you're a young woman in this yeah. country... You might die of suicide, not because and not during childbirth. Uh, if you're a young man in this country under the age of 40, then you are more number two cause of death is suicide with number one being accidents. So you see, suicide is a major problem in our country for the young people. It's not a problem of the old in that sense. We have two peaks. The older peak is smaller than the younger peak. Mm-hmm. Sure. So tell me, uh, Samitra, continuing with you, if I have someone in my environment who has the suicidal tendencies, what is the first thing I should do as a person in this country with the kind of infrastructure we have? Well, I, I think two, th- two ways to answer that question. First of all, mm-hmm. I don't think we should uh, think about people having suicidal tendencies because mm-hmm. uh, that implies as if it's something that is a habit or an inherent to that individual, which mm-hmm. we know from evidence it's not true. Uh, you know, mm. given the right set of circumstances, uh, both you and I are wrong set of circumstances, both you and I might feel suicidal. Mm. Uh, and most people who feel suicidal don't remain suicidal f- forever. 
they might be suicidal at a point in time and if they get the support they need at that point uh, they will get over it and live a long and fulfilling life so there isn't a kind of characteristic of a person as having suicidal tendencies although our popular media tends to portray it that way that's not the reality if mm-hmm. you look at the data Mm-hmm. And if somebody is feeling suicidal, one of the uh, first things that you can do is actually uh, acknowledge the fact that they are feeling suicidal, uh, mm-hmm. and to say that that's quite understandable if you are feeling suicidal. Whereas what we tend to do most of the time is we brush it off. We say, "Oh, don't think like that. That's not good for you. You mm-hmm. shouldn't think that way." That mm-hmm. does not help at all. That is the most unhelpful thing you can do to somebody who is feeling suicidal is to say, "Don't feel like that," or "Think of your family. Don't be selfish." these are quite unhelpful things to say i think the simplest and easiest thing to say is that i acknowledge how you are feeling and why don't we sit down and talk uh, mm-hmm. and sometimes that's probably the most important thing you can do to that person that you sit down and talk if they are uh, if somebody is expressing suicidal thoughts then that's a cry for help that somebody who is extending their hand out and saying guys i need help uh and so the simple thing that you can do at that point is to stretch out your hand and offer that help uh and very often just being able to do that is more than enough for most people if that doesn't work then you at least have a conversation going with this person you can refer them to the professionals you can refer them to a suicide helpline for example or you can refer them to a mental health counselor or a psychologist or a psychiatrist Uh, so there are many uh, things that you can do and also remember there are a large number of suicides in our country a uh, huge number more than one fourth of the suicides tend to be impulsive suicides mm-hmm. so you know if you let people sleep over it they get up in the morning and they're not feeling suicidal anymore uh mm. and so impulsive suicides is probably the stuff where we can really intervene at that point in time mm-hmm. sure but if someone just says a line often saying for example uh, i want to die or i'm going to kill myself is that a warning sign anyone who ever says i want to die uh, should be taken seriously i don't okay. think we should hmm. not say oh but he keeps on saying it all the yeah. time yeah. uh yeah. we have to take it seriously because if you look back to your own life or if i look back to my own life there are multiple times when we might have felt suicidal mm-hmm. or felt like life is not worth living at least sure. uh but then uh, something happens and you get out of it and there might be time when you gone as close to as thinking about various ways you might kill yourself uh but then you pull yourself back and maybe because some friend came over and chatted with you or you thought over it a bit more or you slept over it and you didn't do it so the fact that if somebody is feeling it repeatedly does not negate the idea that they might actually feel suicidal at one point in time which might be serious enough and they do it uh given the fact that there are no second chances uh, you know you can't just say well he says it every time because yeah. if that one out of 100 times he actually does it you're not going to get a second go at trying to save this person so i think every every time if somebody says they're feeling suicidal you need to see that as a cry for help and address that uh, sit down talk offer support and help uh, and not just brush it off saying oh they're always threatening that all the time uh, i think that that's a myth that people threaten suicide <clears throat> i'm sure there are some but that's not the vast majority or the you know 80 90% of people who die of suicide sure coming to tanmoy tanmoy we had this discussion in our last podcast about 
you wanting to uh, end your life yeah if i could elaborate that a bit in this episode what were you feeling and how did you reach out to people yeah thanks for asking that question uh Sure. and i think i should also um, issue a trigger alert at this point because this is this might be an uncomfortable conversation for some people i think um, you know there there was no one, i i think it, it was it's an impulse that kind of built up inside me for a long period of time um and uh, were you vocal about it for a Just long time vocal. for a long time i wasn't um yeah. for a long time i kind of uh, disbelieved myself i think uh, like dr bhatari said you know every all of us apart from how others see us we also have a self image and yeah. my self image was of the guy who often thinks this way but hey i'm never going to really follow through on this um so that's why i didn't really talk about it with anybody there's uh, you know there's any way uh, and my my condition just to be clear i was um, um, under treatment for depression for a long period of time so i'm not sure what percentage of my uh suicidal impulse at that point was because of my illness what percentage was because of life triggers but mm-hmm. suffice it to say that i was feeling this way for a long time and i didn't articulate um that feeling uh, because i didn't really believe uh, that you know i would follow through and then i think it was it was only after i became a parent only after i became a father that i sort of had this uh, oh shit kind of moment where i felt like okay this is now becoming a bit out of control and um, i i i remember that in one of those very very precarious moments it was actually my son sort of you know calling out loudly for me that broke me out of this sort of very uh, dangerous dark reverie that i was going into and i i i suddenly heard his voice and i was like oh shit this is not good and that's when i i mean to my therapist i had off and on started hinting at it but i had never really directly sat down and said okay please help me with this issue in particular but after that one day when i found myself very very close to following through and then it was my um son's um, sort of um, calling out to me that pulled me back um since then i actually haven't stopped talking about it and i mean i have i've been talking about it i've been talking about suicide as a phenomenon as a journalist separately on various forums the various forums where dr bhatari and i have spoken together or even but in my own life it took me a while and that's i think that's the insidious thing about suicide you can engage with it intellectually you can you know talk about it as something that happens to other people and you can analyze it and dissect it um but when it comes to your own life somehow uh, you discredit it or you don't really listen to your own voice um but in the last 2 years 2 and a half years i have been extremely extremely vocal both uh, about my personal crises and about suicide as a phenomenon and i think uh, i'm very very fortunate that i have people around me um you know who like uh, prathari said never for a moment uh, told me that we don't believe you or that you, this is your nature or this is your this is how you are um neither was it blown up into a big sort of melodrama at home nor was it um you know brushed aside i'm i'm talking primarily about my wife sure and so i think that's that's what kind of helped me um that plus all the therapy and all the treatment that i have been receiving sure tanmay just to dig a bit deeper for our audience what were you feeling what was the voice saying inside your head when you felt suicidal was it like i want to end it i want to kill myself what was what was the voice 
there was no voice as such uh, it it's just that i felt that you know this uh, the life that i have lived is enough and that going forward mm-hmm. everything is just pointless mm-hmm. um and so i wasn't you know i'm i'm assuming different people feel yeah. obviously but mm-hmm. for me it was it was a feeling of uh saying and thinking ab bas bahut ho gaya you know that that was the predominant mood that i was in i think mm-hmm. and to say that you know it's just it doesn't make sense like what difference does it make if i live another day so it was it was primarily that i think that feeling of sort of pointlessness or you know the life that i have lived is enough and i and there's really no point in adding another day to that so sure. yeah uh so much to tell me something if 2 am in the morning i know of someone who is committing suicide and i need help or has the is vocally talking about it do you think our country has the infrastructure to reach out to someone for help it depends which part of the country you are in mm-hmm. uh, and which uh, particular demographic you are looking at mm-hmm. uh, so for example if you are looking at somebody who is uh, from an urban uh, uh, location let's say in a place like mumbai or pune or delhi uh, mm-hmm. then i suspect that you will be able to find uh, professional help even at that hour of the morning uh either at a public hospital or even at a private uh, hospital uh so you will find help you will probably also be able to access uh helplines which might be open at that hour of the night uh so that that's something that depend if you are in a public in a urban setting if you are in a rural setting uh that's far more difficult uh mm-hmm. there are absolutely very few to non existent uh, healthcare facilities again with the rural settings you need to de- you need to remember that uh india is uh, very varied so depends which part of the country you are in uh if you are in a place like uh, kerala or tamil nadu uh, there is some chance that you might actually be able to find a local uh, health center which can also provide you with psychological and psychosocial support at that uh, time of the morning mm-hmm. uh, if you are in other places like say somewhere in up or bihar where there are very poor resources then almost certainly you will not find anything uh, that can be of help at that point uh, at 2 am in the morning sure tanmo any thoughts on that in terms of the helplines that we have currently yeah. in the country they are rendering an enormous public service all yeah. of them the concern that i have and i was i had the fortune a uh, good fortune of sort of commi- uh, commissioning a story on this some time ago uh, is you know who's going to help the people who are who are managing these helplines because the number of calls the call volumes that helplines around the world uh, they're fielding is enormous it's increasing um, year after year mm-hmm. and we don't uh, you know we don't really know barring one or two uh like i call i know I which call, is yeah. By, yeah the tis uh, uh, yes. agree helps yeah. them train their counselors in a particular way provide them with support but yeah. and often i've been hearing a lot of people this is all anecdotal and like i said right in the beginning all helplines are doing a fantastic job hmm. but there are plenty of signs that these helplines are getting overwhelmed now um many people um you know i totally reach out to me saying we've been calling and calling nobody picks up even if they pick up sometimes the quality of the conversation there's a clear disconnect between what the person expects perhaps um and it's not it's not fair to expect helplines alone in a country like mm, ours to sure. do this job you know mm, so mm, mm, mm. Uh, yeah that's yeah. where we are at. 
Yeah. I, I agree. Yeah. I mean, I think uh, helplines uh, helplines are like first aid uh, or band-aid, really. Uh, yeah. You can't expect the band-aid to solve the problem. Uh, they are very important. Band-aids are useful, necessary. First aid is always necessary. But the first aid is not the only aid. If that's all you've got to provide, which is first aid, then you're not going to save lives and you're not going to really be able to help people. So I get little uh, disconcerted when anytime there's a conversation on suicide, uh, mm. our policy makers immediately jump to saying oh we'll start a suicide helpline uh, mm. and to my mind that that's band-aid yes that's probably necessary but without the context of the rest of the infrastructure uh, mm. putting in a suicide helpline it is not going to solve things and very often uh, you know, a suicide helpline is like a is is a treatment, so as to say. Uh, in case of suicides, we should be looking at a lot of things that we can do, which are prevention, uh, which will prevent people feeling suicidal, and and that's not something that we've been doing right. at all very well. Mm. So you know, I can give you simple examples where uh, interventions which are not in the healthcare space, uh, which mm. can prevent suicide. So Chennai is a great example. Uh, many years ago uh, my close friend uh, Lakshmi Vijay Kumar who's a great suicide expert from India by the way uh, mm -hmm. did a study from Chennai and found that a lot of these uh, kids after the board exams would die you know so there were kids who would die of suicide after the results of the board exams came out because they had failed or whatever and so she managed to convince the Tamil Nadu government to start a supplementary exam. So the day the results came out, within a month, you could sit for a supplementary exam. And if you pass that, you could then continue and get your admission uh, and continue with your classmates and not lose a year. And what is fascinating is that in the two or three years after the supplementary exam was started, suicides in Chennai, because of after the board exams, dropped to close to zero. So clearly, this was a policy intervention which was not in the healthcare sector, but which had a huge impact on suicide. So if we want to look at how to solve the suicide issue, then we can't just be looking at the health sector. We should be looking at other sectors. We should be looking at education. We should be looking at agriculture, for example. Uh, sure. One fourth of India's mm -hmm. suicides happen uh, yeah. with pesticides. You know, people kill themselves with pesticides. If there is some way you can reduce access to pesticides, uh, will also impact suicide. So we should be looking at all of these sectors and just saying, oh, it's a health sector issue. It's not only a health sector issue. Let me put it that way. Sure. So, Mitra, in terms of the strategy, when we're talking about India, do you think what is the kind of strategy the Indian government, the lawmakers have kept in place in terms of suicides in India, which is approximately 3 lakh in a year? And also when it comes to the suicides, the world over approximately 8 lakh plus year. Well, uh, I, I think we as a society and not just our policymakers, but as a society, uh, we've just basically tried to ignore suicides. Okay, So we don't really have a strategy in place. Uh, we don't, for example, we don't have a national suicide prevention strategy. Many countries do have that. Uh, we don't have that. Some states have a suicide prevention strategy, uh, but which is not very well implemented. See, the problem with suicides, which I think our policymakers also need to understand, is depends on which end of the barrel you're looking for. And I'll explain to you what I mean by that. Sure. Uh, if you if you look at suicides and say, oh, 50% of suicides in India have a mental illness, which is fine. So half of them have a mental illness. Now, if you look mm -hmm. at the other way around, how many people with mental illness actually die of suicide? Then that's less than like a percent. 
Mm-hmm. So you see, it depends which end of the barrel you look from. That's how it'll look like. Uh, so it's very easy to say, oh, but 50% have a mental illness. But most people, the vast majority of people with mental illness will not kill themselves. Now, clearly, the number of, I mean, that's true even in the West. For example, while you say 80% of people who die of suicide had a depression, uh, of all the people who have depression, only 10% kill themselves. Mm-hmm. Okay. So... Sure. It's not so I think when you're looking for solving a suicide issue, I think the strategy uh, you need to remember that it's a bit like you got a haystack full of people, a haystack uh, in which one blade of grass might just catch fire and you don't know where and which that blade of grass is. Uh, And Mm. potentially that entire haystack is inflammable. Uh, and and suicides are a bit like that. It's a low base rate issue. It's not a very frequent occurrence, but it happens quite a lot when you have a large population. Uh, so I think we need to think of preventive interventions in three different ways. We need to think of preventive interventions which uh, look at society as a whole. What can mm-hmm. we do for the entire society to reduce suicide? So the example I gave you from Tamil Nadu of the supplementary exam, mm-hmm. that's a whole of society intervention. You know, they just said, let every kid who's failed get a chance to do a supplementary exam. And mm-hmm. that's a whole of society intervention. You're just offering it to everyone. And by doing that, you're preventing some kind of suicide suicides happening. So, for example, in America, they say a whole of society intervention, for example, could be reducing access to guns. If you reduced access to guns, if you took guns out of circulation, uh, then a lot of suicides will not happen. By the way, in America, 10 times as many people die of suicide with guns as compared to homicides. You only hear the homicides. You never hear the suicide. Mm, yes. Uh, so, so you know, you can think of these universal uh, things that we could be doing. Then there are very uh, selective things that you can do. So, for example, things you do for people who are at high risk. For example, uh, you know, you we do know that, for example, women who are exposed to or survive domestic violence have a very high risk of Uh, dying of suicide. So maybe you can put in interventions which are suicide prevention interventions specifically for women who are survivors of domestic violence. You can also try and stop domestic violence which is a different issue but you can also Mm. put in very selective interventions. And then the third group is obviously the indicated group. An indicated group meaning people where you clearly know this is the highest risk. So people with mental health problems or somebody Mm. who has attempted suicide, somebody who's taken an overdose. The risk of uh, you know, one of the best predictors of people dying of suicide uh, is that they have previously attempted suicide. You know, that's mm-hmm. one of the best predictors. So if you have somebody who's attempted suicide, then you know they are the highest risk and you need to do something for that. So I think what we need is a, a range of strategies in concentric circles. And we need strategies which are tailored to different groups. What you will do to prevent suicides among students is going to be very different to what you might do to prevent suicides among young married women and mm. what you might prevent suicides among farmers. Uh, So these are, you know, we need to look at it as a complex thing across sectors and across age groups and try and devise these strategies. But unfortunately, we've just not had any conversation on suicide prevention. And I think that's to do with our Indian habit of... uh, (laughs) 
यस आई थिंक इट्स लाइक दिस कर्मा लॉजिक यू नो वी जस्ट थिंक अभी क्या करेगा पीपल आर डाइंग दे गोइंग टू डाई दे गोइंग टू डाई वेयर एज इट्स नॉट ट्रू यू नो पीपल विल नॉट डाई इफ वी डिड सम थिंग्स पीपल विल नॉट डाई सो वी नीड टू गेट आउट ऑफ दिस फेटलिस्टिक एटीट्यूड दैट वी हैव टुवर्ड्स सुसाइड आई सी दैट विद आई सी दैट विद people in general in society but i also see that among our policy makers you know they say yeah it's all very terrible but then shrug their shoulders because what can we do if somebody because there's a myth that if somebody wants to kill themselves they will kill themselves mm-hmm. which is not true again you know this is a myth so so there's a lot of stuff that we really need to do because uh, until we break this fatalism around suicide you won't get society saying hey we need to prevent suicides you know we we won't see a suicide uh, as a failure of the system at the moment we don't see suicides as a failure of the system at the moment we just say kya karega what could the system have done about it whereas every suicide should be seen as a failure of the safety net why did this person die of suicide what could have been done to prevent this suicide i think that's the approach and attitudinal shift that we need so uh, someone to tell me who should be pushed to get this in place while it's easy to point out and say well policy makers should do something mm. and they certainly should they certainly should but mm. look policy makers will respond uh, to uh, what they perceive as something that the public wants so unless our own society unless we as a society do not demand this from our policy makers uh, mm. there's not going to be much action that happens uh, and even when if policy makers were to put in place some policies which would bring about certain restrictions uh, unless uh, society x was avail, uh, aware of the why these restrictions are in place and what are the advantages of it it won't happen so i think it needs a it needs a tango it needs civil society to keep the pressure and it needs policy makers to respond to that pressure uh, i don't think one or the other on their own can do anything and i also think in a country like india if you're just going to wait for policy makers to do something then you know you could wait forever i think we need to build we need to build movements we need to build a way by which we can get society to start accepting and saying uh, this is enough this is unacceptable we can't lose two and a half lakh people every year to something that is completely preventable uh, mm. you know i think that's probably what we need and i, I don't know what tanmay feels about that mm. i'm sure he has a different perspective maybe mm. Tanna, what do you think yeah. about strategy and lawmakers? I think uh, that last uh, point that Dr. Pathar was making about uh, pressure from civil society, um, and that's where I think my uh, profession, uh, you know, comes yes. into comes into uh, the picture. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, we are right now we are doing an absolutely horrendous job of it. Right, mm-hmm. we are just making we act, the media is making the problem much much worse actually because yeah. if you look at the kind of stigmatizing reporting mm. uh, and there are some very very simple guidelines that are in circulation um that reporters can access that editors can access um like don't give away personal details don't give a graphic description of the method of suicide um and uh, you know there is enough warning from history that copycat suicides are a real thing i mean in the 1980s the, the the most famous case is the vienna uh, subway suicides case um where so many people were dying by suicide in in vienna and then they put in place guidelines for the media um for responsible reporting and the moment mm-hmm. that happened uh, suicide started dipping and uh, you know they accepted globally as a template for uh, responsible guidelines uh, uh, responsible reporting 
Sorry. So uh, right now, and you know, the, the two of us um, together and independently, we have been breaking our heads for uh, you know Dr. Bhattacharya for much longer than I have. Sure. Uh, trying to talk to uh, reporters and editors, we have met with sort of uh, partial success. Every now and then, there's a good soul who listens to us and takes down a bad story. But I mean, the number of sensationalizing stories, crude depiction of people, just the most um you know um insensitive graphics um and 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 the reason for that is that for for a long long time suicide uh, and even even today i think suicide is seen as a crime um and that kind of slips into our vocabulary as well when we say things like committed suicide that is basically a legacy of you know the the days when suicide was seen as a crime and as a result of that most newspapers would kind of allocate the suicide beat as it were to crime reporters and you oh. know crime reporting has its oh, own God. kind of mm. you know um own kind of nuances and own kinds of cadence mm. and mm. so uh, we've been fighting what what often looks like a lost cause you know trying to transform the media's attitude towards suicide um and and, and this is not just a uh, an indian phenomenon this is I mean, some countries might be a little better, but globally, um, when it comes to um, you know things like suicide and mental illness, the media and popular culture they have done an absolutely terrible job. So I feel that while civil society um, should duly be expected to take the lead, um, one of the instruments of that process has to be the media and uh, media accountability. Uh, penal provisions like the press council has been saying this for some time now that you know we'll hold newspapers and other media outlets to account if they report badly on any suicide but even after that it it doesn't seem like anybody takes the press council's guidelines seriously there's a lot of violation and um, you know as a result of that the kind of ignorance and taboos and stigma that people already have are just getting more and more hardwired um mm-hmm. it, you know and so it's it's sort of um look in india for any kind of intervention to reach the last person in the line there are only uh, you know there are only two sort of quick pathways right one is to do it by a government the other is to do it by the media these are the mm. only two pathways and right now both of them are kind of uh, you know the, the the situation is not very heartening so that's i think as a journalist this is something that keeps me up at night how do we get our own community to start taking this more seriously act more responsibly um so yeah sure there has been this approximately 85% increase in the gun sales in us during the covid times any thoughts uh, shamitra on what the world might look look like post covid oh from a from a suicide perspective i yes. dread the world post covid i just dread yeah. the world 6 months down the road when mm-hmm. the economic mm-hmm. crisis hits yeah. us mm-hmm. uh, there is so much evidence from past economic crisis that uh, with a lag of 6 to 12 months you start seeing a huge increase in suicides and given the fact that we already have a huge number of suicides i don't know what a huge increase in the huge number is going to really look like i mean just just put this into context. context india accounts for a third of the world's suicide when we only have 1/6 of the world's population uh and mm-hmm. so if india's suicide start to increase what is that going to mean so if there is something i dread is 6 months down the road 9 months down the road a year down the road 
I, I think we need to be doing something now. Otherwise, uh, we're just going to have this another crisis on our hands a year down the road. And everyone will be saying, oh, didn't we see this coming? And we should have seen it coming. We can see it coming and we need to do something about it. Sure. Tanmay, your thoughts on post-COVID? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, the gun sales situation in the US, that could be a sort of complex, uh, you know, outcome of many different things. One of the things is that, you know, people are worried that uh, after COVID, uh, existing prejudices are going to become uh, even more entrenched. So things like racism and things like, you know, um, uh, closing down your borders, doubling down on, you know, um, border controls, things like that. Um, and so people are basically going to protect their turf, as it were. And, you know, the gun situation in the U.S. is, is very, very complicated. So I don't know whether that will, what bearing that will have on suicides. But, like, I mean, I agree with everything that uh, that uh, Dr. Padhari said. This It's horrifying, the, um, the intensity of what is coming at us. And I think, uh, as he said earlier uh, during this conversation, um, the fact that, you know, already, like, it's, it's almost a simultaneous phenomenon. We are seeing suicides gallop, uh, you know, while the lockdown is still on, while the pandemic is still being fought. And so, you know, there really is no sort of reprieve. This is going to continue. This is going to get worse uh, unless uh, we wake up and start putting simple interventions in place. And I think, um, you know, uh, going by... Uh, you know the the state of the economy um i i really don't know i it's it's i wish we could say something positive and uh, rosy but it's difficult to be optimistic right now all that we can do is to hunker down and start putting preventive measures in place build a civil society campaign start looking at people not as expendable you know uh, these numbers i mean even if you look at the number of people infected or or you know the number of people who are dying because of the virus itself in india already people's eyes have you know start, start, started glazing over right these numbers have lost their relevance i mean in india that's the thing I mean, so many people die just falling off of trains <laughs> in mumbai locals and who cares so that sort of expendable nature of human life mm -hmm. that narrative is not changed um very very rapidly um, then it, 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 we are we are really looking at a at a catastrophe of the like that we've never seen before. I think. Mm, sure. And what are what are precautions that we can possibly take during these times so that you know we can control what what the future might look like? Besides, one thing which uh, I strongly feel is how to behave on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, I mean. Uh, the precautions like <laughs> families and communities we can take our own sort of you know we can become more educated and more aware about things and etc but i think if if this is indeed going to be a socio-economic crisis then the uh, interventions have to be mounted at that level as well there has to be something similar to basic income there have there has to be liquidity in the hands of people jobs that are going um at a, at a scary pace right now there has to be some uh, effort to address that situation. So um, a lot of ki kids, I mean, you know, uh, suicide among children and, and school kids is such a scary phenomenon. Uh, uh, Doc already talked about it. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of kids right now are living through tremendous uncertainty about their academic futures. I know that a lot of, lot of uh, schools have moved everything online and stuff like that. But, you know, in that narrative, what we miss out on is how many, how many families, you know, if a family has four kids, do they have four devices and, you know, uh, and a Wi-Fi connection that kids can, you know, learn everything online. That conversation is not happening because 
all that we are focusing on is oh ed tech has come of age and all learning is shifting on to the internet but there are thousands and thousands of kids in this country who are potentially staring at a very very dark uncertain anxious future so unless uh, you know uh, 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 civil society government all of us we start addressing each of these slices in, in independently and on a i i hate to use this uh, term and uh, i know dr patare has very strong reservations against the use of war metaphors but uh, you know on a war footing we have to deal with this on a war footing. there is no we can't lose any more time so mr what do you what do you think what are your thoughts on the well, precautions I mean, I- on the precautions see, I, it's a bit like uh, tell you know imagine if you're in a, if you're having a flood mm. uh, and then you're trying to say okay what can you collect a few buckets and yeah. take out the water i mean mm. you know you're not going to stop yeah. the flood with a few mm. buckets mm. what you need mm. is a more stronger upstream action which is at a policy broader level so all the things that tanmay said about you know i i think the one of the biggest issue is going to be uh, issues around uh, around not having money not having food you know mm. hunger starvation unemployment that's going to drive the suicides uh and so i i think uh, unless we address those basic issues to say we'll provide counseling for example i mean my worry is that the government will react by saying oh we'll put a counseling thing in every yeah. district i mean that's pointless that's like saying we'll give you out lots of buckets you need mm. to stop that not say give out lots of buckets you know mm. uh, and i think that that is what needs to be addressed and that is what we need to be really doing so i mean suicide is a, suicide is the ultimate uh, outcome of something that is not happening in the health sector it's happening outside the health mm. sector then expect that a health sector response will solve the problem does not make mm. any sense yeah Hmm. Sure. Thank you so much, uh, Samitra Tanmay. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for joining this session. Thank you for asking. Thank us. you so much. Thanks. So, if someone is saying I want to die or I'm done, uh, do heed that as a trigger warning and seek help. Uh, you can find help. A lot of helplines. We'll try and put uh, some of them in our description. There is I Call. There is Empower Minds. There is Geo. There is Ministry of Health. Do tell us what you guys thought about today's episode. Do you have a story to share on stress, on depression, on isolation? You know where to find us. Stay connected, stay positive, take care of yourself, keep yourself strong so you can take care of someone else. That's it folks. This is Suchita signing off.